The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. Well, if you are able to, just continue standing for the reading of God's Word, and we'll be reading from the Gospel of Luke in the 24th chapter. And um, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Instead of drilling down in a couple of verses, we're going to look at about 30,000 feet of a number of verses throughout chapter 24 today. So how about making sure you've got a Bible handy, either that uh, electronic Bible or hopefully one that you can put your hands on and, and sense and feel and make your way through it with me? Luke chapter 24 in your copies of God's Word. Now, if you would, let's take a look at chapter 24 and the opening verses, verses 1 through 12. This is God's Word. God's Word is the truth. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, the other women with them, who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Now, we also know John went with him from another gospel. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. And then he went home marveling in what had happened. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever by his grace and mercy. May his word be preached for you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as Cindy and I were pulling in this morning and knowing we would have ten wonderful congregants representing you and with them we are worshiping to send the worship to you, I could not help but look throughout the parking lot and see all the cars that were missing and therefore all of the people. Normally, of course, these services are filled on the Resurrection Lord's Day and the sunrise service and the two worship services and our evening time together. But not so. Um, you're missing. I don't I can't see you here. You're not here. Now, I'm believing you're here. I'm believing you're watching us and and participating. And and uh, we are taking advantage of this technology. But 
you are missing. But um, Jesus is here. I know that. But interesting, on the first Lord's Day, when they went to the tomb, by the way, it ended up about ten. So the first Lord's Day had about ten at the sunrise service. You had uh, Mary, that is, uh, the, uh, the other Mary, uh, the mother of James, the wife of Clopas or Alphaeus, uh, James the Younger. And then you had um, Mary Magdalene, and you had Joanna and Susanna, who were of the Herodian palace and uh, had been followers of Jesus. And it says some other women. And then you've got the... Um, uh, you've got Peter and John that run to the tomb. So uh, we've got uh, four and two is six. And then we've got a couple of angels who are there uh, in appearance as men. And so now we're up to about eight. And then it says some other women. So we've got about ten there. And um, and guess what? Jesus is not there. He is risen. And um, And that is an interesting statement. You know, the gospel writers intrigue me. They intrigue me because of how the Holy Spirit led them, yet they consciously work their way through. They're writing about the life and ministry of Jesus, and except for Mark, from his birth until his ascension. But And they, there are many things that they write that overlap, but each one of them is absorbed by the leading of the Spirit and their own interest that the Spirit of God is using to emphasize certain things and to arrange it a certain way. Now, I confess to you that of all the gospel writers, I am most intrigued by, um, by Luke. Number two for me would be Matthew, but number one is Luke. Luke is a doctor. Luke is a uh, historian. Uh, Luke is a, a journalist. Uh, he is an author, and he does what every author does. It's not only do you take a lot of time thinking of the words you're writing, you take a lot of time in research. That's one of our problems today with quote-unquote fake news is they don't do the research. But Luke did the research. In fact, Luke has put together an apologetic, a defense of the faith, a proclamation of the gospel. He's writing to Theophilus. Now, Theophilus is either a true, uh, an actual individual, or uh, but it could possibly be a name that he has established because of his desire. What does he want all of his readers to do? Love God. What does the word Theophilus mean? Theo, God, philos, phileo, a lover of God. Now, that's either an actual person, maybe a ruler of some kind, or that is what he actually desires everyone who reads his gospel would become. And he arranges the entire gospel very interestingly, and he does not stop at chapter 24. Now, don't jump ahead reading yet, but let me just go ahead and tell you, chapter 24 is really focused on the first day of the resurrection. Unlike the other writers... Luke does not get involved in the 40 days of the life and ministry of Jesus after the resurrection. Luke 24 gives us the first day, and then at the end, it gives us the ascension day. But he doesn't handle the other 39 days. Now, they're handled, 
And we know Jesus makes 15 appearances. We know that Jesus teaches many, 500 here, all of these that he taught and all that he did. And, and, and John says, if I was to record everything he said and did, the world, the world couldn't contain the books. But Luke is not, fo- Luke is focused. He is not only, he is not only diligent in his content, he is diligent in his design. And in chapter 24, he takes the first day and he is very selective. He doesn't talk about Jesus. He listen. All these people we're reading about in Luke 24 disciples to Emmaus, Joanna, Susanna, Mary, Mary Magdalene, uh, Mary, the other Mary. Uh, the two disciples, uh, as I said, on the road to Emmaus, the, the disciples. Are near. My guess is. Luke, while Paul is in prison at Caesarea by the sea for over two years, Luke is going around interviewing all these people. So he knows what all is taking place in those 40 days after the resurrection. And um, and by the way, he knows what's taking place on the first day. He doesn't give us everything on the first day. He doesn't talk about Jesus interview with Mary Magdalene. He doesn't talk about Jesus appearing to James. He doesn't talk about Jesus appearing to Peter. Yet we know on the first day he did. He doesn't talk about Jesus appearing to the other women. Yet we know from other gospel writers he did. He focuses on three events. One in the morning. One in the afternoon. And one that night. Three encounters. Risen Christ. But there's one lesson. Now, are there sub-lessons all over it? Yes, I could preach in Luke 24 until I go to meet Jesus. There are many insights, but there's one at 30,000 feet. The arrangement of these three encounters is communicating a central truth to you about your relationship with the risen Christ as Savior and as Lord. One unmistakable lesson about your relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior and then after he is your Savior the implications of his Lordship in your life now that doesn't mean after he becomes your Savior he becomes Lord no he's Lord from the very beginning but the implications of his Lordship afterwards now you've already read with me the first the morning encounter haven't you so they arrived there early in the morning We know there's at least four women and there's some others. We don't know how many others. It just says the other women. We know four of them, Joanna, Susanna, the other Mary, and Mary Magdalene. And we also know that they have come prepared to do what? Anoint the body of Jesus. They're convinced he's dead. Why would you bring the spices if you didn't think he was dead? They're coming to anoint his body, his dead body. Where? In the place of the dead. A garden, too. They're absolutely convinced. Now, what they forgot to do, by the way, they know the tomb. They know where Jesus is. And they know he's dead. And then they got to thinking on the way, according to the other gospel writers, well, who's going to move the stone for us? There's something we forgot. And then they arrived there, and of course we know about the angelic work, we know about the earthquake, and the stone is quote-unquote, according to Mark, blown away. And there is the tomb that is open, and they run, and they look in, and the tomb is empty. 
Now it is empty and they are what? Well, let me tell you what they don't do. They don't say it's empty. Oh, yes. Didn't he say that he was going to rise on the third day? (laughs) Wow. How did we forget that? No, it says they're perplexed. Says they're confused. In fact, their immediate thought, as emphasized by Mary Magdalene, is, hey, can you tell me who took his body? Who took his body? And then two angels, appearing as men, drive the point home. Why, why do you, I've often thought, how should I emphasize this? Why do you seek the living among the dead? I thought about, why do you seek the living among the dead? I thought, why do you seek the living among the dead? You ought to know he's living and he's not with the dead. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Well, they're seeking Jesus among the dead because they're convinced he's dead in the tomb. And by the way, let's finish anointing. We didn't get the whole job done. We only got some of the spices done. Let's come back and finish the job. That's what, in fact, they had found some time after resting on the Sabbath. Now, let me just say, folks, no one admires these women more than me. They're the last. They're at the cross. They're the last. They're at the tomb. They find out where it is because they're going to come back and they're the first at the tomb. And I admire them. Their strength is amazing. That's a whole discussion how these big, strong men are fleeing and these women. And show up. I have my own little idea about the strength of women that shows up under emotional duress. That's my idea. But I'm not going to preach on that right now. What I will say to you is that I admire them for being there. But the fact is, they don't believe in the resurrection. And when he's resurrected and not there... Isn't it interesting? These three encounters, you got to hang with me now. These three encounters, the first one, he's risen, but not there. And they don't believe. The second encounter, he's risen, he's there, but they don't believe and don't recognize him. The third encounter, he's risen, he's there, they recognize him, but they're still not believing. This must be an apparition. In every single one of these, even though the risen Savior, not there, is there, is there, recognized, is there, not recognized, the thing that's common is nobody is believing. Nobody is believing. Then the angels drive the point home. Why do you seek the living among the dead. That's how I solved it. I don't emphasize. I'll emphasize all of them. Why do you seek the living among the dead? Did he not tell you in Galilee? Folks, go check me. Not right now. Go check me. The one thing that Jesus taught that he repeated the most was... I am going to Jerusalem. I am going to be delivered up by the scribes and the Pharisees. I am going to be crucified and I will rise on the third day. He repeated that, according to the gospel accounts, more than anything else he said. So why would you be here today? This is the third day. 
Why are you coming to the place of the dead to see the one who told you he'll be living? Why are you here? You have been instructed. You have heard God's word. Why would you be here? Well, then it says they remembered. Oh, yeah, maybe he did say something about that. And then they make their way to the disciples to tell them. And as they make their way to the disciples and they come into the disciples and say, Hey, we got there, and I don't know how exactly how they said it, but it's something like this. Hey, we got there, the tomb was empty, two angels are there, he, Jesus wasn't there, and the angel said to us, why do you seek the living among the dead? And they reminded us, guys, remember when Jesus taught all of us, he's going to be delivered up, he's going to be crucified, on the third day he's going to rise again, and yeah, the tomb is empty. And they dismissed it. As an idle tale. Oh my goodness. Obviously you've got something wrong. Not, oh, yes. No, your report must be wrong. Your gathering of the data must be wrong. What you're t- telling us. Oh, I, I know there's more than the five, six, seven, eight of you, but uh, hey, it doesn't matter. It, it, there's no way that it can be true. But Peter and John, Luke emphasizes Peter, uh, they go. And as you know, John outran him. I loved what Peter, I loved what Bruce said at the sunrise service is that two things you know about this is that uh, John's faster than Peter. And the other is that when they get there, Peter's bolder than uh, John. That, that, that'll preach. I, I may use that a bunch of times in the future, uh, giving credit, of course. I, I really like that. That's what happens. But Peter wants to know. You can imagine Peter is walking with a lot of shame and guilt with his denials. And Peter goes to find out. Well, now we fast forward to the afternoon and you get the second encounter. Would you follow along with me? Would you open your Bibles? Make sure they're in front of you. Look at Luke chapter 24 and follow along with me at verse 13. Now, that very day, so we're still on that first resurrection Lord's Day. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus. So we've got an encounter at an empty tomb. Now we're going to have an encounter on the Emmaus Road. That very day, two of them going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were uh, walking, uh, talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and they did not find his body. They came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. 
Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them. Now, Jesus isn't quite as gracious at this point as the angels were. He's pretty pointed. Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Please note, he didn't say slow of heart to believe the women. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. <clears throat> so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. So in other words, they've now arrived at Emmaus and at their home. And Jesus has uh, now been invited in, uh, even though he was willing to move on further. But they invited him in, and he was ready to go in. And when they did, they sat down. But now Jesus, the guest, takes over and becomes the host. Here's what happens. <coughs> when he was at table with them, he, he took the bread, and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. How many times had that happened in front of them? And then when he did... Then when he did, their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while uh, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered that together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what, was, what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So here's our second encounter. The first, at an empty tomb. The second, on Emmaus. The first one, Jesus is risen but not present. But the women don't believe and the disciples don't believe. The women confuse the disciples dismissive. Now he's on. Now he is risen and present. But they didn't recognize him. Interestingly, it says their eyes were kept from recognizing them, recognizing him. And then they begin to share. Well, you know, here's this Jesus. We have, we loved him. We followed him. We thought he was the redeemer. We thought he was the Messiah. And then they crucified him. Now, this is the third day. And uh, there's something ringing in their mind. This is the third day. And these women have come and said that the tomb is empty and that they saw a vision of angels. And uh, we just don't understand of this. And we are told by Jesus who diagnoses them is that they have a depressed or downcast, slow heart. Perhaps the reason they don't recognize him is they're not looking for him because their heart is not being informed by the word of God. It's being informed by others and experiences but not the word of God. 
And so they're trying to catalog all this. They're trying to understand this. And they don't, they're not sorting through it from the scriptures. They're sorting through it from their imagination instead of divine revelation. And they begin to work their way through it. And they're absolutely confused. And Jesus cuts to the quick, foolish ones. Foolish ones. And what is his remedy? Listen, can I, can I not convince you that Joanna and Susanna and Mary Magdalene are reliable witnesses? Can I convince you that, um, that angels should be believed when they show up? This isn't the first time. He doesn't take them to the witnesses, although they're reliable. He doesn't take them to the experience, although it is true. He takes them to the word. And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, you are slow to believe the prophets, the word of God, their Bible at that time. We call it the Old Testament, which was filled with prophetic words of the Redeemer, his atoning death and his third day resurrection. And you have dismissed that. You have not believed that. That's what you have not done. You have not believed the word. Now, I believe they believed in him. I believe they loved him just like the women did. But they were not captivated in their relationship with Christ by the word of God. They were captivated by their imagination through experiences. Therefore, they were lost in this maze of reports and tales and everything that's taking place. Jesus said, let's get to it. It's foolish to live that way. And he opened up the scriptures. And then they said later, did not that slow heart burn while he spoke to us from the scriptures? Beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained himself in all the scriptures. The second thing that then they opened their eyes was when he broke the bread. And he gave it to them, and there they partake of it together. Well, they may, their hearts were not only burning, the road to Jerusalem from Emmaus got burned up as they left there and immediately went back to the disciples. They couldn't wait to get back there and tell them that they had, just as we heard sung a while ago, they'd seen Jesus. He is risen Indeed, they had heard he is risen. Now they say he is risen indeed. And they make their way there as rapidly as possible. And as they arrive there and they uh, as they arrive there, they find the disciples. And we have our third encounter to an enclosed room, a, a, an enclosed room where they have found themselves. Now, let's just read that one and then I'll give you your takeaway. Here's the third encounter, the empty room. And as they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and and thought they saw a spirit. Oh, this must be an apparition. This can't be Jesus. They're not believing. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? They're doubting. They're troubled. For a spirit does not have flesh flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving, there it is again, while they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelous, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. So there you go. He said, let's eat some fish and chips. 
And so they get some fish. But Jesus is healthy. We're going to have it broiled. And so they have broiled fish. New body eats. Don't forget that. The new body eats. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name um, to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Then fast forward, the last verses go to the 40th day in the ascension. But here he then sends them out after he opens their minds to understand the scriptures. But what did they do? Now, look at it, folks. Just look at it with me. He's not there, and they don't believe in the first encounter. He is there. And they don't believe in the second encounter. They don't even recognize him. The third one, they see him. He's there. They recognize him. But they still don't believe. This must be a ghost. This must be an apparition. They disbelieved it. They disbelieved with joy. But they disbelieved. And then what does Jesus do? He does the same thing with his disciples in that room that he did with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He began to explain to them the scriptures. He didn't go back and say, now look, disciples, this day is coming to a close. At the beginning, you heard from Mary Magdalene. You heard from the other Mary. You heard from Joanna. You heard from Susanna. You heard from Peter and John that went and came back and reported to you. You've now heard from the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Just how many witnesses do you? need to believe he knows the issue is not the what they will do with their imagination from the experiences and witnesses of others it is what do they do with divine revelation that's the key now folks listen to me do not do not misunderstand me I believe in the rational explanation of the gospel. I believe in reasoning with people. I believe it's a historical experience. I believe these witnesses witnessed a historical experience. But here's what I want you to understand. Nobody will ever believe in Jesus through anybody else other than Jesus sending the Spirit of God to use the Word of God to bring them from death into life. Until you get eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll always, with imagination, disbelieve and explain it away. So here's the takeaway. The takeaway is just as simple as I know to make it. Unless the Spirit of God opens the heart by the grace of God, no one can respond to the Word of God for salvation or for sanctification. That is, to come to Christ in salvation or to walk with Christ in, in sanctification. You are utterly dependent. See, I don't, I, these people are saved. Uh, I believe the disciples on the road to Mesa, I think the women are saved, I think the disciples are saved. But they're still doubting the Word of God and they do, they're putting their imagination and experiences above the word instead of the word interpreting experiences. That's what they're doing. And that's what so many are doing today. 
I meet Christian after Christian who says to me, well, let me tell you who my Jesus is. I don't, listen, I, you, I, here's what I want you to know. Not your Jesus, but I want your Jesus to be the Jesus the Bible reveals. He's not the Jesus of our imagination. He's the Jesus of divine revelation. Here, let me put it this way. We don't believe in the doctrine of the resurrection because of the witnesses. We believe in it because God said it would happen. And it happened. Did I not tell you? The witnesses are affirmation, not foundation. The rationale is affirmation, not foundation. It is divine revelation. In other words, let me put it this way. Jesus had to die on the cross for our sins. There was no other way, which is why the answer to his prayer request, if there's another way, let there be another way, was no. There's only one way. You've got to go to the cross to die for our sins. When they said to him, if you're the Christ, come down, they didn't realize because of the, what the word of God had revealed, because he was the Christ, he must not come down. He must stay there to save us. He is fulfilling. Have you read? I've tried to emphasize it this entire week. He took sour wine. Why? Because he was thirsty? No. I'm sure he was thirsty. But that's not why he said it said he took the wine that the scripture might be fulfilled. They parted his garments that the scripture might be fulfilled. All of this was that the scripture might be filled. He died for our sins that the scripture might be fulfilled. He was raised because the scripture revealed he would be raised. That's why there's witnesses. That's why it makes sense. That's why the truth of God's word is embraced when the spirit of God opens our hearts and our minds. Folks, I sit down and I reason with people. I attempt to persuade people. I do it. But all the while that I'm sharing with people, here's what I know. Unless the Spirit of God opens their heart and their mind, they will dismiss. I don't care how fluent, how persuasive, how attractive, how, not me, but my presentation. I know good and well that I can't talk them into the kingdom. Only Jesus can bring them. Now, I'm going to be persuasive. Because God works through persuasion. But it's the Spirit of God that has to accomplish it. We plant, we water, but only God can give the increase. The women, as much as I admire them, they didn't believe what the Word of God said about the resurrection. I believe they were saved, but they didn't believe what the Word of God had said about the resurrection. The disciples disbelieved. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus disbelieved. The disciples that evening disbelieved. They did not believe in what the scriptures had said. They were still trying to sort it through by witnesses, by their own reason, and by their own processing. That's why I do not say, God said it, uh, I believe it, that settles it. I like to say it this way, God said it, that settles it. I believe it. But you can't believe it, and I can't believe it, without the Spirit of God. In other words, Jesus is sending them. But let me put it this way. Jesus sends them to proclaim him. But watch. There is a clear lesson, unmistakable, in these three encounters. 
You cannot be sent by God to go forth for Christ until Christ with the word of God and the spirit of God comes to you to bring you to himself. You cannot go for him until he comes for you. That's why we have the preaching of the word and prayer. That's why we give out Bibles. That's why we talk about small group discipleship. That's why we talk about preaching. God has to come to you through the word of God. And we pray by the power of the spirit of God. The dead bones can't live. What kept them from under recognizing him? Their heart. That's why they didn't recognize him. He's supposed to be with the dead. That's why they didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him because of their heart. What changed their heart? The word of God with the spirit of God. He opened. Did you see it? He opened their heart, which opened their mind, which opened their eyes. When he opened the scriptures. And you and I can't open hearts. We can't open minds. We can't open eyes. But we can open the scriptures. And pray for the spirit of God. To move among men and women. To make them the people of God. Jesus doesn't appeal. Didn't you believe the angels? Didn't you believe the women? Didn't you believe... No, what he appeals to is this. Don't you believe the word of God? Then he opened it. The angels didn't appeal to their senses. They appealed to, he told you, the reason you see an empty tomb is because the word of God had promised this to you. Christianity made sense. Christianity has witnesses. Christianity brings experiences. But Christianity is true because the word of God is true. And when the spirit of God gives you a heart for the word of God, then the witnesses make sense. Then the experiences flow. Because the heart is opened. The mind is opened. The eyes are opened. Our lives are opened. It's true in conversion. So today, I told you, Jesus died for you according to the scriptures. Jesus was raised according to the scriptures. And there were witnesses. And it's a historical event. And this all makes sense. But I'm praying the Spirit of God gives you the sensibilities to come to Christ. Let me tell you what the world's going to offer you. You've got sin, you've got guilt, you've got shame, you're hopeless. Here's what the world's going to offer you. More possessions. Think that'll do it? Here's what the world's going to offer you. Go get power. Here's what the world's going to offer you. Entertainment. Amusement. Therapy. Behavior management. Here's what Jesus offers you. A new heart, a new mind, a new family, a new home, a new record.
And you're alive. Because he lives. I invite you to him. You say, Pastor, I'm a, I'm a believer. Praise the Lord. Then let me just say this to you. Do not live your Christian life by imagination. Live it by divine revelation and every day surrender to the Spirit of God. Come under the preaching of the Word. Come under the study of the Word. But always seek the Spirit of God. Because whether it's coming to Christ in salvation or walking with Christ in sanctification, unless He comes to you, you can't follow Him and tell others about Him. And He comes to you through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And Luke has brought the lesson home. Now you come home to Him who gives life evermore. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. I'm just going to ask you to take a few moments. Let the Spirit of God speak to your heart. The Spirit of God do His work in your very soul. Lord, I praise you and thank you that while sin and self would keep us from recognizing you, your grace is greater than our sin. And your grace comes to us through the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, Spirit of God, take this, the Word of God, and come to the hearts and lives of each and every person who is listening and joining together around the throne of grace. Come and do your work, I pray. Speak. In your word, O Savior. By your spirit, give us a hunger, a thirst for that word and eyes to see and ears to hear. And I pray that each one here has come to Christ. And those who have come to Christ will follow Christ. And we will not build our lives Upon the frail, faulty works and thoughts of our imagination. But upon the word of God, divine revelation. Have you not said? And your word is unbreakable. Thank you, Jesus. Risen Savior. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205 776 5200.